Thank you so much. Um, I was telling first service when I got here that I was trying to think of how I would open. What's the appropriate open when you, when you come home? And um, I landed on one thing, gratitude. I, uh, I owe so much to Freshwater. I, I have walked life with so many of you. In 2011, we showed up at Freshwater. Honestly, we were, we were banged up, and uh, you needed a place to find some healing, and, and man, we didn't know what we needed. But Freshwater, you guys all came around us, uh, walked with us, and poured into us. And so we just, we owe a great debt of gratitude to, to all of you. And what's interesting is, Going up to Olmstead Falls, being in ministry now for, for coming up on four years, I realized how much I took from Freshwater and how to lead well, um, how, just how to enter into so many different aspects of ministry, I learned right here. Uh, one other thing that uh, I didn't say in first service, but I'm sitting here looking at Bruce and Colleen, and they don't know that I'm going to say this. Bruce and Colleen plowed the field that I'm working in. And so I just want to honor you. You guys did a great job, and uh, just grateful for you. So today, I get the chance to talk a little bit about manhood. And when they told me the subject, I thought I'd hit the hallways of Grace Church and see what people said. And so I walked around and I said, hey, define manhood. There was a lot of, like, big deer eyes looking at you, trying to come up with a good definition, and then eventually you'd get a definition. What was interesting, though, is even in a pretty large church, you got this wide range of a definition of manhood. And so I started looking around a little bit and realized that that's actually pretty common as far as a worldview of manhood. Because manhood actually seems to morph and change all the time. It's always changing. And so if you follow the trends of history and you follow manhood throughout history, you'd actually see that it morphs and changes depending on the pressures and tensions of that culture, of that time. And so if you were a pioneer man, for that, for that matter, you would that kind of lifestyle required a certain amount of ruggedness, a certain amount of independence. And so it makes sense that a pioneer man, the model of a pioneer man would be one of ruggedness and independence. And then you could follow through, maybe into post-Civil War times. Post-Civil War times, we were starting to get more into education, elegance, refinement. And so it would have been kind of uncouth to be rugged, it was really more about your education, how well you communicated and spoke with each other. And then you'd see that kind of transition back and forth, back and forth. If you get to the, the uh, world, war, uh, world Wars, the greatest generation, right? The greatest generation of men, uh, there's probably some sitting in this audience. It was kind of... We learned from uh, some of that generation that it was, you didn't share your emotions. And you kind of wonder, where did that come from? 
Well, those men had to endure some of the most horrific things and some of the most difficult things any of us will ever see, hear, or do. And they had to compartmentalize a lot of their lives and stuff that stuff down. So it is kind of, you can see why we would get that definition of manhood from that generation. And so, again, it fluctuates back and forth. Now, if I was to ask you, what about today? Well, today's a little bit muddy, right? Um, you know, we're, we're trying hard to, you know, demasculinize. Is that a word? I don't know if that's a word. You get what I'm saying, right? Trying to pull out masculinity in some areas. Other people are trying to put it back in, and some people are trying to remove it altogether, and it just gets really muddy. And so it, it makes it a little bit difficult. Now, one of the cool things about our times now is we, we have these abilities to see icons, the icons of manhood, right? And so if you were of an older generation, you could resonate with this guy, John Wayne. That was kind of the icon of manhood back then. Maybe Sean Connery, a little more eloquent, right? The gentleman spy. It, maybe Denzel Washington rings true with your version of manhood. Chris Helmsworth. I got thinking, though, there has to be a better picture of manhood. And I found it. This is it. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, manhood. Like I said, it fluctuates and moves. And right now, we're dealing with a time when we really don't have a clear definition of what manhood is. In a paper that Dr. Alan Withy wrote, it was entitled 500 Years of the Model Man, he, I'll read his quote. It says, what then is today's model man? In many ways, things are more complicated, a veritable barrage of heroes and anti-heroes, a salesman from every direction. Magazines such as GQ and Men's Health tell men how to dress, how to look, what to eat and drink, and where to see and be seen. The media daily creates and destroys new male models and icons. The result of all this is a rather amorphous or without shape or form and indistinct model of ideal man. Men are, by by, men are confused by what they should be. Does that seem like the kind of where we're at right now with manhood? Just kind of this unknown, right? What's the danger that comes from that unknown? I talked to a, a friend of ours. She is a counselor that actually meets in our building. And I just asked her the question, what's the danger of a man not embracing manhood or having manhood removed from him? And she would tell me the stories of multiple times when men would come in and talk to, talk to her about the challenges they're meeting and and usually, it's a result of an unclear picture of manhood, or it's been stripped out from under them, undermined out of them. And what's left is someone who's completely lost and undermined, like they, they just don't have what it takes to move on. And a lot of times, that leads to uh, serious depression issues. It can lead to... Um, 
coping mechanisms. It can lead to a lot of different health concerns. So that's one of the reasons why we want to have this conversation today. Men need to walk into manhood. The other reason is something that you may have heard of in a movie from, I was going to say not that long ago, but I'm getting old now, and it was like a long time ago, but it's called Failure to Launch. And it's just about the, the possibility that we don't move, we don't grow up, we don't become men. And so there was a Pew research done in 2019. This is before COVID. I want you to keep that in mind. So 2019, they did a research and they found that 47% of all young adults in the United States, ages 18 to 29, were still living at home. The vast majority of those were males. Even more st uh, interesting statistic, 18% from 25 to 34 18% of age, young adults, 18 or 25 to 34, were still living at home. And that's a clear definition of failure to launch, failure to step into what we've been called to do. So it's really important that we embrace this conversation of what is manhood. And when you look around the world, there's, again, a lot of conflicting conversations, and the footing is really unstable. So where do we go? for our stable footing. We go to Scripture. We go to the one place that is unchangeable and unmovable. And so we go to Scripture. Now, when you're looking through Scripture, and you say, if you're like me, Google. Google Scripture about manhood in hopes that some neat and tidy verse is going to pop up and it's going to give you the full definition of what manhood is. It's not there. So how do we look through Scripture and try and find a definition? Well, first, I'm going to do things kind of like I did, used to do in my old job, okay? I used to be in the housing industry. There's several of my past coworkers sitting in this room. And uh, so I love houses. And so if you were to build a house, typically you're going to come, you're going to see a picture of what you want. This is what I want it to end up looking like. And then you go out, you dig the hole, and you lay the foundation. After you lay the foundation, you build the framework, the framework that everything is going to build off of. And then afterwards, you start putting in the pieces, the characteristics of what the house is going to look like and what it's going to do and how it's going to function. You start building it on that framework. That's what we're going to do here today. So I found, when I was looking for a definition of manhood, I wanted to have a broad picture of scriptural, biblical manhood. And I found the best one I think I've ever heard in a book called The Intentional Father by John Tyson. And he gave this definition. A man is an image bearer and son of God entrusted with power and responsibility to create, cultivate, care, and defend for God's glory and the good of others. I think that's one of the most round definitions of what biblical manhood is. And uh, we're not going to be able to build the whole framework uh, based off of that, but I want to give you some. 
So we're going to start with the foundation, right? We want to know solid footing. What is biblical manhood going to look like, how it's going to work? I want to read for you from Galatians 2, verse 20, and it says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the most significant foundational piece of biblical manhood. Relationship with God, total and utter complete dependence on God. If you're missing that foundation, the whole framework of biblical manhood doesn't seem to work, and it can possibly tumble down. If we, did the, if we built a house without the foundation, I guarantee you eventually it would fall down. Um, I, I did an inspection many years ago in a house that was a century home, and most of the foundation was actually gone. It was completely gone by the time I got there, and somehow it was still standing there. And when I went into the basement, I was down there for about 10 minutes and went running back out. I'm like, I'm not even, I don't even want to be in this house. And... Uh, we gave the full report. About a year later, I happened to be driving by. That house wasn't there anymore because it, it couldn't stand without the foundation. So foundation is vital. And in this case, when we're talking about manhood, it is about relationship with God. You need that first. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would highly encourage you talk to somebody uh, because there's a lot more ramifications than just biblical manhood. Next verse I want to cover is in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. So the verse reads like this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I want to be really careful here because I don't want to become legalistic. This is a verse that you can take and you can thrash people with. I don't want to do that with you, Okay. What I want to do is encourage you to rethink some of the things in your life, okay? What is a childish thing? Hmm. I remember growing up, I'm a gamer. I love uh, games, computer games, and, and various different platforms of games. And so I loved playing. It wouldn't be unheard of to be said that gaming is a childish thing. But is it? It can be. So, if, I will just tell you a story from my life when gaming was a childish thing. I was married, had two kids at the time, where they were both really young, and Gaming any free moment, I spent gaming. And I'd stay up late at night gaming. The problem was, is that it was taking away from my marriage. It was taking away from the kids that I was called to raise and cultivate and care for. So, and you could go on. That's childish behavior. When something is taking you away from your responsibility, what you're called to do in life, 
That's what we're talking about. And so I'm sure the Holy Spirit, if there's something in your life, would be happy to point that out to you as he has done that for me many times. Let's move on to Genesis 1.27. This is a verse you heard uh, last, uh, last week uh, when Cindy did a great job talking about biblical women, uh, womanhood. And so Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I want to focus in on a few words, in his own image. What am I talking about? If I was to walk up to a mirror, you could see a reflection of me, my character traits. You would know that it's me. What this is saying is in biblical manhood, if we're embracing biblical manhood, we would be an image bearer. We would be a reflection of God in all that we do, our interactions with one with the other, our business dealings, our, the way we raise our families, they would be a reflection of God in our lives. Another piece of framework. Last piece of framework I want to give to you today is in Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2 verse 15 says this, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now we could spend a good series on this verse, but I'm just going to be really simple. The reality is, is God has put you on this earth for a reason. He has given you responsibility, and it is your job to care and cultivate that responsibility. That is stepping into manhood. So what I've done is built a foundation and some framework. But as you know, every house is a little bit different, right? It's got its own little character, its own little things. And so... Manhood actually is very similar to that. It has its own little character. Every single man has been born with specific gifts and abilities. And so you start to kind of use and shape those things into what biblical manhood is for you. And so I was looking through, trying to find examples of biblical manhood in the, in the Bible. And you can find it all over the place. And so I, th- I went through and I started thinking about what are some of the, my biblical heroes, men that showed their, their manhood in their stories? And so I'm going to go through about, uh, about seven of them, okay, and just talk about the ones that kind of stood out to me. First one that came to mind was Jonathan. If you don't know who Jonathan is, Jonathan was actually a prince. He was the son of King Saul. He uh, was a warrior, and so you find this man who, uh, one of the coolest stories about him was that one day he convinced his armor bearer to climb a cliff and take on an entire army. It's an incredible story. And you can see the bravery that comes out of Jonathan. I can just see that. You go, man, I want bravery like that. That's what, my, what manhood looks like. But you also see things like loyalty, and you see something that a man that thinks of others above himself. You see someone that's a true friend, a true friend, even when it's not easy. You can look further to a man named Boaz. Boaz was a businessman, and you can learn characteristics about him, about integrity, 
You can see the fact that he was really sensitive to the needs of the people around him. And he had a really strong sense of responsibility. God laid responsibility on him, and he was not going to let him down. You read of Job. Now, Job is probably not somebody that you run to right away for biblical principles on manhood. But he's a great example. Job, if you read through there, went through some of the most incredible hardship ever known to mankind. And yet, he endured with patience. Incredible quality to put on the framework of manhood. And I think probably the biggest thing that I noticed as I was reading through Job is the very end is when he recognized that God was sovereign and I am not. Really important rule or character trait to learn about biblical manhood. Daniel. You think of a man like Daniel and you think, ah, big government guy, he's got a high-paying job. No, he did. But don't forget that he was actually brought as a prisoner. He wasn't there on his own will. In fact, I'm pretty sure had he had the choice to leave, he probably would have. But what we find in a man named uh, Daniel is that this um, a, a man of great conviction and a man of great faith, and he was completely unwilling to waver on anything, any of that, for anything. David, one of my favorites, right? And I'm sure there's a bunch of you. They were waiting for me to say David because there's some great stuff that you can see in the character of David. He was a king. He was a shepherd. He was an outcast at one time. He was a poet and a musician. And here we see the characteristics of manhood that flow out of David, just a couple of simple ones. He was brave. In some of the most daunting situations, he stared down. Uh, think of David and Goliath. Who in their right mind stands in front of a giant with a slingshot? Bravery, faith in God. The other thing that I, I love about David is that he was unafraid to share his feelings, which kind of laughs in the face of what we define manhood as today, right? Look through the Psalms. You can see this heart-wrenching, tear-filled just messages that, came, that poured out of David's heart. And so that is a great picture of what true biblical manhood is. Paul, a scholar, an apostle, couple things I, I get from Paul that in my own life, I see it in Paul and I want it so badly in me. He was unafraid to approach difficult conversations and he did it with great love and grace. Man, I would love to have that uh, pour out of me. And he was a servant, a true servant of God, even, even until death. Now, Jesus, we could probably just have done Jesus alone, right? Because he was truly the only man in history that did manhood perfectly. Great study. I would encourage you to dive into it. See, uh, see what characteristics of Jesus you could bring out uh, for manhood. So, where does that leave us? It leaves us wrestling with on one hand, a worldview of manhood. 
Worldview of manhood typically falls on external things. How do you look? How do you act? Are you drinking the right things? Are you, are you fit? Are you, you know, that kind of thing. Biblical manhood. Where's your heart? Have you submitted to God the Father? Are you willing to follow him wherever he leads? Will you take on whatever role he's put you in? Will you take it on and not only take it on, but will you pour your energy into caring and cultivating? Which one is more dominant in your life? Which viewpoint? Which one are you passing on to the next generation? So that's the question I want to leave you with. And then we'll jump into our panel discussion. But before we do that, let's just ask God's blessing today. Lord, we're, we're grateful for your example. Your example through Christ who loved so deeply his church, his bride, that he gave himself. We see someone that took on the mantle that you placed on him in sacrifice of himself. We see the we see the love that he showed. Lord, I now ask that whatever whatever work you've begun in our hearts, whatever things you're starting to tug on our hearts with Lord, that you would continue that work. As we leave today, as we go through this discussion, would you continue that conversation in our minds with you? We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, welcome these gentlemen up here today, our panelists. So as we prepare to hear from, uh, from these five gentlemen and uh, how they've seen some of the principles that Neil shared today uh, kind of unfold in their lives, I want to make sure to alleviate any concerns. We're not going to stand up here, sit up here for 25 minutes and recite our favorite movie lines and talk about sports, okay? So <laughs> we'll get that out of the way with. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, I, we do need to meet our panelists. I'm Jamie. I, I handle communications here at the church. And this here is Len Mar III, correct? Correct. Correct. Not Len Mar Sr. We d discussed that last service. So just to, to make that clear, Len is the, the father of Pastor Len, our youth pastor, and also the grandfather of, of Donnie next to him. So um, Len, I'm going to give you some questions here, get some quick answers. Married, engaged, or single? Married. Uh, number of kids? Two. Working, staying at home, or retired? I said other, but 
Retired. Retired, great. Uh, and I've got a different question here for you. Would you rather hit a home run in softball or split the fairway on your first drive of the day? Wow. Len was a stud softball and baseball player, just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to say hit a home run. Yeah, that's the right answer, I think. <laughs> Next up, we've got uh, Donnie Hurley. Um, Donnie, married, engaged, or single? Single. Uh, we'll skip the kid question again. Working, staying at home, or other? Uh, other, attending university. Uh, Donnie just finished his freshman year at Cornerstone in Michigan, correct? Um, uh, and let's see, another question for you. So Donnie, believe it or not, is a Steelers fan. Feel free to boo him and his dad. I don't know if his dad <laughs> is in this service or not. But um, So your question is, uh, did your dad bribe you or brainwash you into being a Steelers fan? Brainwash. Brainwash? Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Great. Next up, we've got David Helmick. Uh, David, married, engaged, or single? Married. Married, number of kids? One. One. Working, staying at home, or other? Staying home. Staying at home, and we'll dig into that a little bit uh, here in a bit. Um, and so I asked this first service. I got a different answer. I'm going to throw yours in there and add one more, okay? See if maybe this will trump it. Uh, David grew up on a dairy farm, so whole milk, 2%, 1%. Skim or chocolate? One percent. Still one percent. Yeah. Man, I thought I'd get you. Okay, great. Next up, we've got Dan Puertas. Uh, Dan, married, engaged, single. Married. Number of kids? Three. Working, staying at home, or other? Working. And Dan, uh, your question is: uh, laminate or vinyl flooring? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, that's a tough one. Wood flooring is. Uh... Wood My preference, but vinyl, I would say uh, vinyl flooring. Well, you vinyl. could go with other if you want. Other. Wood flooring? Other. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. And next, we've got, we've got Neil. Um, something maybe you don't know about Neil. We've learned a little bit about Neil today. But uh, Neil is the um, very uh, uh, proud winner of the prestigious Throphy Award. If you don't know what that is, ask him about it after service. He'd love to talk to you about it, I'm sure. So uh, married, engaged, or single, Neil? Married. Number of kids? Two. Two, uh, obviously uh, working. Um, Some would debate that. What's that? Some would debate so, that. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know how this happened, but I'm up here with a Steelers fan and a Michigan fan. Neil's a Michigan fan. Feel free to boo him as well. Now, uh, Neil, who wins this year? And remember, you're in a church, and there's only one right answer, okay? Michigan or Ohio State. I'm always going Michigan. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, see, I hear that. I, I, I have undying hope and loyalty to them. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> dying. Yeah, <laughs> dying would be, yeah, more, more uh, correct. So, guys, uh, Neil listed some examples of um, ideal manhood that culture has given us over the last century or so. So, if they were going to make a movie of your life, um, a couple of you share who you would want to play you in that movie. I'm going Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, Maverick, I like it. Uh, Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Bruce Willis. Any bald guy. Any bald guy. <laughs> yeah. It's great. John Wayne. John Wayne, okay. Um, oh, I scrolled too far. There we go. Neil also shared a quote from Dr. Alan Withy that said, to paraphrase, culture is continually changing its standards on who the ideal man is, leaving many men confused about who they should be. 
Uh, this week I did a quick Google search to see who uh, the most famous people in the world are right now. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson showed up at the top of many lists, but on those same lists I saw guys like Justin Bieber, Elon Musk, uh, soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo. So pretty wide range there, right? Um, and so there can be uh, many competing voices that try to tell us who we should be as men. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last week in the women's uh, panel discussion as well. So what are the influences that have shaped your definition of manhood at different stages of your life, kind of what you, uh, you've aspired to be? I'll jump in. Um, I think very similar to your answer last time was just there's been a, such a ver wide variety of them, right? Um, I was really blessed to have a uh, great father and, and grandfather uh, that pointed the way as far as manhood goes. Um, a lot of people in this room, honestly, learned a, I've learned a lot from people sitting in here and then scripture. So, pastor, I got to throw the Bible in there. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's great. But when you were younger, probably not so much. Not so much. No. Right. Donnie, what about you? How does that compare? Uh, do you find as a younger man that it's, it's more difficult to kind of filter out the cultural references? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think so. Um, but I think that my parents and grandparents, uncle, aunts, um, I think they've all done a great job of instilling the right values in me. Um, and I think I'm stubborn enough that I can just kind of say, screw all that and try to focus on the good stuff. But obviously there's always some, some pressures there. Yeah, it's hard to resist those. Um, let's spend a few minutes here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Neil shared this today. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So was there a moment in time in your guys' lives either when you recognized that, uh, shi a shift in your life or um, later on as you look back at a moment when you kind of officially became a man? Um, for me, Becoming a man, um, I, I resonate a lot with that failure to launch um, movie where I went from high school to college to grad school, just kind of lived at home for a long time, uh, didn't really take care of myself uh, for many years, got married a little bit later, had kids later, and so I kept kind of childish ways for a while. Um, but I would say uh, I felt like a man more responsible once I had my first, my first boy. Um, and now you're taking care of another human being, right? You got to change them, feed them, do all these things. And if you don't do that, you know, they might die. So it's some pretty important <laughs> stuff. And uh, you start focusing a little bit more on them instead of yourself. You know? What about you, David? Um, I think for me, uh, I was like having, getting married and having kids is, is a really big step. But prior to that, um, a few months after I graduated high school, um, I bought my house and that just really clicked like I'm, I'm paying for this I'm responsible for everything so I think that would probably be like the first like big moment that I kind of felt like a man or was stepping into into manhood Len how about you yeah uh, some may think feel that uh, when I stepped off the plane in the Republic of Vietnam in 1968 I became a man but uh, I look back a year prior to that uh, December 16th of uh, 1967 I married my high school sweetheart 
And uh, we walked down the aisle at what we call the old church there on Humboldt and, uh, and Boyer. And uh, like they said, I now had another person I was responsible for. And I feel that was, uh, that was the day. And what a legacy you've built since then. So it's great. How many years is that now? 55. 55 years, huh? I'm a little, yeah, that's great. Thanks, man. So guys, the second half of that scripture, uh, what are some childish ways that God has asked you to give up at different seasons of your life? Yeah. Sure, Dan. Uh, touched on it last service as well. Um, having kind of failure to launch, um, you know, one of the things that I got into a lot and controlled a lot of my life was, was, was alcohol. You know, I, I, I struggled with that for a long time up until the point where it was affecting my job, my marriage, and... Uh, uh, and even uh, my first kid, I was still drinking at that time. And as, and as a man, it's, um, it can be tough, right, to ask for help or acknowledge help. And, and, and it, you know, you're, you're a young person and you start drinking, it's about like, how much can you booze and, you know, who can hold their liquor the most. Mm-hmm. And it quickly became a thing for me that I, I, I couldn't control. And, and it was actually uh, about 20 years of addiction that I dealt with with that. And so... Um, that's something that I didn't really give up. Uh, God healed me from, from that more than anything. And um, it could have been, it was a really dark place in my life uh, for many years. And, and uh, I would say that also led to my becoming a man more and taking on those responsibilities. And you mentioned coping before, and that's mm-hmm. things that I, helped me cope as well. In first service you shared, it's been nine years now? Yeah, nine years since, since I had a drink, which, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, let's Thank celebrate you. that. That's great. That's great. Um, so last week, they talked a little bit about inadequacy, and the women did, and uh, comparing ourselves to cultural norms and how that can that leave us feeling. Um, now, I know it can be hard for us to admit as guys, but we can feel inadequate at times as well, or maybe unsure of, uh, unsure of things during shifting transitional seasons. And so maybe it's heading off to college or moving out of mom and dad's house, new job, new kid. Um, how has inadequacy or an uncertainty during a transitional season shown up in your guys' lives? David, we can start with you. Uh, like we kind of touched on at the beginning, uh, I'm a stay-at-home dad as of last summer. And uh, the, the main part of the story is getting to that decision. Um, my wife and I were uh, presented with a situation where uh, we didn't want to outsource childcare, so one of us had to stay home pretty much. And um, just financially, it made more sense for my wife to keep working and for me to, to quit my job because juggling both jobs and the baby just was, it was it was too much for for us and uh so i think it was like a month um pretty much knowing it was the right decision that i need i needed to quit and it would alleviate so much stress and everything but um i think it was it was like a largely cultural thing because typically you know it's a stay-at-home mom not a stay-at-home dad i mean you see it from time to time but um and like growing up on a dairy farm like, like you said it was just such a it would be a, such a stark like departure from from what i grew up with uh uh, and I, I sought advice from a number of people, um, like strong Christian uh, examples in my life and stuff. And um, it was kind of, you know, it was the, the man's supposed to provide and, and whatnot. And you kind of just assume that provide that means financially, but like our finances were covered. We needed, what we needed provided was childcare. 
So after like I said, a lot of stress and kind of restless nights, um, I did end up putting my two weeks in and quitting, and like immediately it was the right decision. And because uh, we knew God was leading us to that situation, but uh, it it really took um, a lot of effort. It seemed like such a simple thing, but it was it was a strain to to make that decision. And even though you know now and knew then that God was leading you into it, there's still some tension in there for you occasionally that can crop up in conversation, right? And explain that a little bit. Yeah, I mentioned that um, getting a little bit better, but especially for the first several months, whenever it's like, oh, what do you do? And whenever I would say, oh, I'm a stay-at-home dad, I'd always have to give like a quick little explanation on, on why that was the case. I couldn't just, uh, be, I guess, be comfortable with this, with the simpler version of it. Sure. Um, Donnie, what about you? What's it been like uh, going off to school, uh, being on your own, and kind of being responsible for, uh, well, definitely being responsible for yourself in new ways, but uh, figuring out manhood on your own now, what it's like in this new environment, this transition? Yeah, so when we met uh, earlier this week, uh, I shared that I was like, when I got the text asking to be on this, I was like, uh, I don't even feel like a man. Like... (laughs) I'm 19, just freshman year of college, um, but it's been good. Um, I think, like I said earlier, my parents done a great job, um, prepared me really well for being on my own. So I think I swung into it pretty normally, um, made some child decisions here and there, skipped class to play golf, stuff like that, but that was all worth it. Yeah. But- <laughs> I passed all my classes. You passed all your classes. But even, I, I love that because um, you're just admitting that, I mean, you're just navigating through it, right? 19 years old, you're not going to have it all figured out. Nobody up here claims to have it all figured out. And you're just in this season where this is all new. There are new challenges. And I'm sure there's plenty of you guys sitting out here uh, relatively the same age going through the same type of thing. So it's great just to hear that it's a work in progress. So um, Neil uh, talked about biblical manhood examples in the Bible. He talked about Jonathan, Boaz, Job, Daniel, David, and Paul. So out of that list or someone else, who do you resonate, resonate most with from Scripture when you look at manhood? Well, I'll start. I'll say Jonathan. Uh, as I learned about Jonathan, I felt we had some similar traits. He was a soldier. I was a soldier. Uh, he was a leader. I was a leader as a platoon leader. Uh, the, uh, he was a friend, and uh, I, I try to be a friend. Uh, uh, I think of uh, the other things that, that come in, in, in play with that. Uh, I, I try to support people, uh, try to give of myself uh, as, as much as, uh, as possible. So I, I would say Jonathan. It's great. Who else? Um, yeah, not on the list, but uh, really thought about it. I would say um, probably Elijah, just because you see there's a great, he has great uh, showings of faith and God comes through for him in miraculous ways. And then sometimes it's followed up by moments of weakness or lack of faith that, that doesn't really doesn't really square with the experiences that he's had. And I think I, I definitely have some of that. Yeah, that's good. And that actually reminds me, Neil, when you talked about David. Um, another thing I love about David is uh, made a ton of mistakes, some really big oh, yeah. mistakes. Um, so very flawed, but very willing to repent 
to seek God's heart after that. And that, I, that's another thing that I know we talk in our house about with, with my boys is like this, this being a man is about taking responsibility as well when you've messed up. So yeah. that just reminded me kind of like of, of the flawed nature of, of a lot of the guys that you said. It's just something that um, you were preaching. So take that, you know, take that with you if you want. But um, so there was a quote shared by John Tyson. Uh, Neil talked about um, from his book, it's, a man is an image bearer and son of God, entrusted with power and responsibility to create, cultivate, care, and defend for God's glory and the good of others. Now, Neil also talked about Jesus being the only one who did manhood perfectly. Um, so through the lens of that John Tyson quote, it certainly seems like he lived out the perfect view of manhood. Out of that list that John Tyson gave us, uh, where are you most dependent on Jesus um, to help you look more like him in your life, in your walk? Um, well, I'll take it. Uh, if any of you are Brian Regan fans, you'll, you'll know where I got this from. Um, it, I'm a me monster. And so I can, I can be very uh, easily all about me. And it's about my glory and my, what I want. And, um, but in that definition, it's for God's glory. Everything that I'm doing should be for his glory. And uh, so that's, that's surrendering that as, as something that I have to do daily, honestly, regularly. That's great. Um, what about the first one, being an image bearer of God? How easy is that in your life? So I travel for work, and um, sometimes it's hard to find redemption in, in that because I, I leave my family, right? And um, I think, of, well, all I'm, all I'm really getting out of it is, is a salary. But um, as I thought about it this week, you know, I, I realized that as I'm traveling, I'm connecting with so many people, and I have to share, and I have the opportunity to share that with, you know, got my love for God, my dedication for God. Uh, with those people throughout different areas that I travel, and so um, it, it's not easy, right? But um, but I'm I'm always feeling that I have to be prepared uh, when the opportunity presents itself, or that I can create it to share God's mm -hmm. um, my love for Him and my relationship with Him with others throughout different areas that I travel. And so I realize that that uh, I can drive some more positives out of not being home all the time, as well. Yeah, which. Makes it a little easier, I guess, doing all that traveling, right? So um, we're going to wrap up here uh, with one more question. Um, we'll add an attribute here to this John Tyson quote. So 1 Corinthians 15.45 says that Jesus is a life-giving spirit. I think it's fair to say, if we read that, that we should be life-giving, uh, that we should be life-givers uh, to the people in our lives as well. Um, you know, men can be so quick to to cut people down, be sarcastic, that sort of thing, but we should be building people up, encouraging one another. Um, that's what life-giving spirit seems to be for me. So uh, how do you seek to give life to the people in your lives? Probably through support of, of the individuals, uh, I think would be... Uh, be one of my attributes. More or less what I was going to say. I'm not uh, not necessarily the best shoulder to cry on per se, but um, someone needs help 
um, you know, something physical or just, just more or less any way I can support somebody that's, um, that I think that'd be where I'm at. Donnie, your, your grandfather was a, a, little, uh, a little less shy in the first service. Um, expounded on that a little more. Why don't you talk about how he's been a life-giving spirit in your life? Um, yeah, so how he was saying um, support, I think for all of us grandkids and I'm sure when his kids were still all, like my age, um, he's always been traveling the country, the state, supporting us in all of our athletic events. Um, I tried to name all of them last service. I don't know if I hit them all, but everything like that, um, choir stuff for others other than me. Um, but yeah, just supporting others. Um, being The one word I think that I would describe him as is generous. Um, generous with his time. He uh, volunteers down at Fish. Um, volunteers at the church whenever he can. Um, and then just, yeah, loving on us has been great. Anyone else? Anyone else want to share on that? Life-giving spirit? I think it, it varies, right? We have different people here, different age groups, and so different seasons in life, you've, you, you're called to do different things. Um, being middle-aged right now, I'm, I think I'm middle-aged, I guess. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, you're taking care of your parents on one end of, of, of your life right now, and then you're also taking care of your kids. And so you go from being... Um, Yes, it's just, it's different. Depends what God calls you to do, and you try to do it all with compassion and love and selflessness, but it's not always easy, obviously. That's great. Well, thanks, guys. Let's have a round of applause here for our panelists. And uh, would you pray with me, please? Uh, Father, uh, thank you that while culture tries to tell us who we should be um, as men, as women, um, that you have, uh, you're very clear on who we should be, that uh, you've designed us and created us intentionally, and that you have a plan for our lives. And thank you that you sent your son Jesus as the ultimate example, uh, someone that we can look to when we need to cut through the noise um, and, and all the different voices that we hear that are, that are trying to push us one way, we can look to Jesus and, and find our true north. So thank you for that example. Uh, I pray a blessing over uh, each man here and uh, all the others who have joined us online. I just pray in the days, weeks, and months ahead that you would remind us that you have a specific call in our lives, um, that you've called us to specific things in our lives and to specific people, um, and that you've sent your spirit to empower us in that, um, and that uh, you're with us always. And so uh, thank you for that clarity. Thank you for what you did today. I uh, pray over the next uh, couple of messages here as we wrap this series up. Uh, thank you uh, in advance. We know you're going to show up there too as well. So uh, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.